The winds in Egypt were particularly strong on the morning of March 23rd, 2021. Sand and dust blew in from the Sahara, turning the sky yellow, making it hard to see the Suez Canal, where $10 billion worth of trade flows between Asia and Europe every day. Getting through this narrow waterway is not easy. I want you to imagine pushing the Empire State Building on its side for 120 miles. The winds press against the cargo containers like their sails. It's enough to push a huge cargo ship off its course. When that happens, it's really hard to regain control. But you know what? This is not a story about what happened on a March morning when a cargo ship called the Ever Given got stuck in the Suez Canal. It's also not a story about who or what was to blame, about the billions of dollars of goods that got blocked, or the legal battles that followed. It's a story about us, about how we're all connected to a vast, complex network of wants and needs, supplies and demands, creation and destruction, a network we rely on every day, a network that's more fragile than we realized. I'm Sonarin Glinton. And on this season of Now What's Next, an original podcast from Morgan Stanley, we're bringing you into the stories behind the vast global network that's called the supply chain. Stories about how our stuff gets to our front doors and why that matters, about current problems and future solutions, and why even those fixes can push us to keep innovating. Now, most of the time, we don't give much thought to this network and how it works or too often these days, doesn't. But when a ship with more than 18,000 containers on it gets stuck in the Suez Canal for six days in March, well, we couldn't look away. On board the Ever Given ship, we had one container, a 20-foot container, that consisted of 6,000 sets of wires. That's Jan Unander. He's a Swedish businessman who gets products made in and shipped from China to customers in Sweden. One of his customers makes computer systems for trucking companies, and they need the wires that Jan had aboard the Ever Given to make these systems work. Jan was expecting the container in early April at the ship's first port of call in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Now, it takes about a month to get there from China on a normal trip during normal times, but this time... They took four months and nine days. We're talking four nail-biting months and nine days. But the drama for Jan started weeks before the Ever Given got to the Suez Canal. A week before we were supposed to get the goods on board the ship, the broker started to warn us that it was quite tricky to find a place on board the ship at all. It was a question of a shortage of containers. The container shortage. Have you noticed it? Think about it. It's one of the reasons why you're seeing out-of-stock signs and you're getting notices for long shipping delays. It's not that they're not enough containers. They're just not in the right places. In areas that import a lot of stuff, like, let's say, Los Angeles, you have containers piling up in the ports or waiting on ships in the harbor to be unloaded. If you export a lot, like, say, in China, you're running low on containers, and that's just one of the issues slowing things down and jacking up prices. The cost of container shipping by sea has gone up by as much as 10 times the amount it was two years ago. Lucky for Jan, 
his broker had friends who booked cargo space on ships. He came back with an email saying that he found a space on a ship called Ever Given, and we were very happy at that time. Well, that joy didn't last. But when Jan saw the images of the ship stuck in the canal 17 days after it left China, he was of two minds. Sure, he had a lot of money and goods aboard the Ever Given, but he's also a marine engineer and worked in the merchant navy in the 60s and 70s. He knows cargo ships, and he knows canals. He also knows how tricky they can be. I'm sure that the crew would prefer to go around South Africa instead of going through the canal. I heard one captain that said, I prefer to do colos, what do you call it, coloscopy, instead of taking a ship through the canal. It's risky. I wasn't worried because my background said that this is going to be solved in quite a short time. And I guesstimated three days or something, but um, it took longer. Um, a little longer. It took six days before the Ever Given was freed from the canal. Then it was held for inspection and investigation. Two weeks later, the canal authorities seized the ship, demanding more than $900 million in compensation from its owners. The Ever Given ended up sitting there for over three months while the authorities and the shipping company figured out a deal. I started to become uh, not furious, but quite upset. I realized my customer didn't have much extra capacity in their store. So if this would be a, a long story, we could be in trouble, both the customer and we. It's important to realize that Jan's company pays for most of the production and shipping costs in China up front. He only gets paid when the customer gets their stuff. As the customer's supply dwindled, Jan sped up production in China and found a way to get more wires to his customer before it was too late. By air. It also meant that Jan's company had to spend more money up front before they'd been paid for that last batch. We could have actually been forced to file for bankruptcy. It would have been very close. So, uh, of course, we couldn't pay salaries, but that, that's another story. Jan's rush shipment by air made it just before his customer ran out of supply. But it was close, and he's already seeing a lasting impact from the ever-given delay. It will have consequences because the customer, they are now hesitating to produce everything in China, which means that our business is at risk now. That's not all because of a ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal. Manufacturing in China ain't what it used to be. And as wages and education rise and the Chinese middle class grows, so does the cost of manufacturing. And China is moving towards producing more high-end and high-tech goods. Jan has thought about other ways of getting his goods from China to Sweden without going through the Suez Canal. There's a train route, but that's more expensive and crowded. And then there's another shipping route that runs from China through the seas north of Russia. I think it's about two weeks less. So it's quite a quick route. And that is something that if we have the opportunity or to do that next time, it's safer. We've got the icebergs, but I prefer those instead of <laughs> the canal authorities. You know, that is saying something. But that route through the Arctic 
is controversial. Some shipping companies have begun to exploit the shorter winters and lengthening summers, while others are refusing because of environmental concerns. As we'll see more and more in this episode and series, supply chain solutions don't always work well for everyone. Despite it all, Jan still thinks shipping by sea is the best way to go. I would say the only way to go. I talked to the customer the other day and we are planning for the next delivery and so we will fill another container, hopefully in the end of this year, and then uh, we do it again. That's life. That may be life for now, but things are changing all along the supply chain. Sustainability, automation, new technology, human rights. These factors are all shaping where this global network is headed next. Factors we'll be exploring more through the season. As for where the Ever Given was headed, after eventually unloading most of its 18,000-plus containers, including Jan's in Rotterdam in late July, it sailed on for less than a week across the mouth of the North Sea to its final destination, Felixstowe Port in Suffolk, England. On one side of me is the sea, uh, so you get a lot of sea smell down here, uh, the British, British weather. And that is where we meet. Jake Slim. There's a huge ship at the moment is docked, five or six cranes working, unloading it. While panning round, there's thousands and thousands of containers stacked up, um, all different colours, sizes, shipping companies. Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Felixstowe is the biggest port in England, and over 50% of the UK's goods arrive on 3,000 ships over the course of a year, including the Ever Given. So the Ever Given was, was docked right in front of me. This is sort of the main dock of where most of the ships come into Felixstowe. And this is where a lot of people came down to, to view it when it came in. With dozens of ship enthusiasts watching, the Ever Given unloaded 2,000 containers at this port in early August. And some of them were destined for Jake. He's got a pretty unique job on the supply chain. And when he heard about the Ever Given delay... What went through my mind was, you know... It, <laughs> A slight excitement, of course. Lots of fresh fruit and veg that were on this on this ship were going to need to be destroyed. That's right, destroyed. I own a runner company called JS Global Cargo and Freight Disposal. We specialise in disposal of container goods coming from outside the UK. Jake cut his teeth in the waste business. I've always been in the waste and recycling industry since I was young. Again, I'm still quite young. I'm only 22. My dad has been in it since he was, a, he was a boy as well, so I've learned everything from him. Now, Jake saw a gap in the market. A lot of goods arrive at Felix, though, but can't make it out of port for, well, a variety of reasons. His company destroys what's not allowed into the country, like goods that don't meet safety standards or foods that have passed their best buy date. Now, Jake also buys up stock that's safe but has been left behind, like if a company goes under. He started his business three years ago, and there has not been a dull day since. It's a bit like Storage Wars as such, um, the TV program. You, you never know what you're going to be going to be opening in the container. It's always something different every day. As for the ever-given cargo that reached Felixstowe more than four months after it was due to arrive, well, let's just say not all of it made it there intact. So we're currently dealing with uh, around 10 to 15 containers of uh, red cabbages. Let's, let's let that idea or smell sink in. That's 25 tons of red cabbage in each container. They were kept at a certain temperature that they weren't 
leaking out of the container, you know, any juices or anything like that. But yeah, the smell was disgusting, um, as you can imagine. So we wanted to act quickly to get these containers off the port into a disposal site, at, you know, as soon as possible. So what's a boy to do with 25 tons of rotten cabbage? All of our food waste goes into an anaerobic digestion site. Um, sounds complicated, but it's, it's actually not. Food waste gets turned into electricity. So it's, it's going into a good home um, and we're not putting it in the ground or anything like that. Soon after the Ever Given got stuck, Jake started getting calls from business owners with goods aboard the ship and other ships that got delayed. They were looking for alternate ways to unload their stock if the containers didn't arrive by the time they needed them. And the calls were not just about food. People were panicking, definitely. If you're a company waiting on, on you know, 20,000 items of stock that you still haven't got and you need them for a certain time, then you're going to be panicking. Um, so we were getting calls from people who had uh, televisions on board, uh, hot tubs on board, people sort of looking at other, other avenues instead of uh, waiting for the goods. Remember, Jake's company buys up stock that's still safe for the UK market and destroys what isn't. And with over 200 other ships in a traffic jam behind the Ever Given, that was a lot of business for Jake. These ships had a lot of fresh fruit and veg on, so we were destroying bananas, pineapples, oranges, you name it, we were destroying it. The Ever Given delay may have been an isolated event. But once again, it points to bigger issues. Jake says supply chain problems account for a huge percent of his business. I would say eight times out of ten, it's a reason or an issue or a fault with either the shipping line or the customer or the container itself. With the fruit and veg, um, as I mentioned earlier, these are in the refrigeration containers. If they go wrong, which happens a lot, they are not safe for the UK. There can be problems all along the shipping route, but also on the ground as well. There's a shortage of truck drivers. That's something we'll be talking about later in the season. And it's causing major delays everywhere. It's a bit like the Suez Canal. It's, it's just holding up people collecting their containers off the dock. There's not enough container drivers out there. There's not enough lorries out there to deal with, with the volumes that are coming in from these ports at the moment. Waste is a huge part of the supply chain, and the delays along each link since the start of the pandemic have increased the volume of it. And the Ever Given just slowed everything up. It just slowed the whole shipping world up. Everyone sort of took a step back and realized, you know, how, how big this, this problem is. It's a problem that, for now, is going to keep bringing Jake back to the ports. And every time I come down, down to a port... Uh, in the UK, especially Felix, though, because of the size of it, it never sleeps. It ne you know, there's always something going on. Um, and that's what I like about, about the shipping world. It just never sleeps. At any time, day or night, thousands of cargo ships are crossing the world seas, moving wires, cabbage, toys, you name it, around the globe. Lights blinking in the darkness, nothing but ocean in every direction. The shipping world never sleeps. The round-the-clock nature of the shipping world is something Julian Wong understands in a way most of us don't even think about. And it was on his mind when he saw the crowds watching the Ever Given pull into Felixstowe in August. I, I have to, to say that when I see all these crowds, it saddens me in a way that all the interest is the size of, of the ship. And 
what had happened to it. It got stuck in the Suez Canal, and nobody ever gives a thought of the 24 people on board. Those 24 people operating the massive Ever Given, they're all Julian thought about when he visited the ship in August, one of the few outsiders to board the infamous vessel. They are, to me, the unsung heroes. I make it a mission of, of mine to, to try and make them visible to the general public. Now, Julian was permitted on the Ever Given because he's a Stella Maris port chaplain. Stella Maris, that's Latin for Star of the Sea, is a Catholic organization that helps seafarers in need. Julian is in touch with crews all over the world and visits the port all the time, climbing up tall ladders to check on crew members despite a debilitating fear of heights. When I take the, the first step of the gangway, I start counting one, two, three. I don't look over the side. Julian didn't hear directly from crew members that were stuck in Egypt on the Ever Given and suspects it has to do with the signal problems in the Suez Canal. They were replaced by a new crew while the ship was held by the canal authorities. That's the crew that Julian visited in August. I wanted to show them my appreciation. And that was why I just took three boxes of uh, Ferrero Rocher chocolates for the crew and just a simple thank you card. Why chocolate? The one thing the CFRs always ask, surprisingly, are chocolates. It seemed to be universal. Yeah. And they do love uh, Ferrero Rocher. It's a little bit of joy that is universal. Yeah. And when you got on board and you got your three boxes of Ferrero Rocher chocolates, how did the people respond to you on that ship? They were obviously very, very pleased, very appreciative, you know, that I call on them. And uh, apparently, for about three or four days, I was the only person they, they went on board. Let's be real for a moment. When we buy stuff online, most of us aren't thinking too much about how it got or will get to us, let alone who's going to help get it there. Seafarers often get stuck on ships, sometimes for incredibly long periods, during government disputes, weather delays, route changes, and lately, pandemic lockdowns. As global trade increases and we rely more and more on shipping, we're also relying on these people who are vulnerable to forces way out of their control. Julian tries to make their lives just a little easier. I'm there to listen to them, help them in any way I can. If they want shopping to be done, then I'll do that for them because they haven't got time to go ashore. It's about making connection. Yeah, it's basically uh, being their friend. And I always tell them, if you ever need help with anything, wherever you are, anytime, anywhere, just send me a message and I'll do all I can to help you. How many seafarers do you come in contact with or are you keeping in touch with at any given time? I try and befriend at least one seafarer on each vessel I, I visit. I would say I have a few hundred of my messenger contacts. With hundreds of contacts on social media, Julian wakes up every morning to dozens of messages and tries to help in any way he can. I asked Julian to help me understand who's working on these ships. They come from Indonesia, the Philippines, India. Basically, the poorer parts of of the world because it's cheaper to hire them. And 
they work as seafarers because they need a job to support their families and extended the families, I have to say. A usual contract keeps a crew member on board for three quarters of a year, which means you miss out on a lot. The children growing up, you don't see them their, their first day at school. You don't see them on their birthday apart from on your little mobile phone screen. And the pandemic has made this hard job harder. Crew members are often barred from getting off the ship when it docks, and lockdowns have made it impossible for some to find ways back to their families for months at a time. But then they also realize that they have to deal with it because otherwise there won't be a job for them. What what were you doing before you were a chaplain? I was a psychiatric nurse 45 years. Wow. As a psychiatric nurse, what are those sort of mental issues that you notice or you have to deal with when people are on these ships for that amount of time? Yeah, the rate of depression is quite high. The rate of suicide as well is quite high. You've said that that a ship can be like a floating prison. Yeah, they're always working 24-7. And if you get on with each other, fine. But if you if you have problem with a certain member of the crew or certain officer, you're stuck with that person for nine months, 11 months or more. A big part of what we're doing this season is looking at problems along the supply chain and who's doing what to solve them. But some of these solutions can have unintended consequences. And this is something Julian thinks about a lot. For example, as shipping technology becomes more advanced, more automated, there's talk of reducing the number of crew members aboard any given ship, which not only means fewer jobs. I just dread to think, how would it cope? Now, if the ships are getting bigger and the crews are getting smaller, yeah. what does that mean for the physical and mental state of the people who are doing all this work? Yeah, it will get worse. Obviously, there's less human interaction. So mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, it's going to affect them. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I would say that, you know, the larger world looked at this vessel getting stuck and what happened as a logistics problem, as a supply chain problem. And you seem to think of it as a, a human problem. It is a human problem because without human beings, those vessels wouldn't move. I mean, it's as simple as that. Compassion has, has come into it. I think they have to take the human element into account. Without that, I think it's going to be a tragedy. The Ever Given Ship Delay put a spotlight on an already fragile system in need, not just of a makeover, but a big overhaul. And we'll see in this season that there are more than a few ways forward. Heck, there are innovative, compassionate, and unexpected routes. Those routes are being forged by thoughtful, out-of-the-container thinkers who are making new connections across this network. On the next episode, we'll find out how the just-in-time supply chain model meant we didn't have the PPE we needed when the pandemic hit and how we could be better prepared the next time. I'm Sonari Glinton. Thanks for listening to Now What's Next, an original podcast from Morgan Stanley.